Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face to face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We thank the true and living God, the true and living God for allowing us to be a part of this ministry. We pray that he will be with you and us tonight, every Sunday from uh, at 10 o'clock and then at 2.30 we meet at the University of Utah for a verse-by-verse -verse Bible uh, church. Uh, you're more than welcome to join us. Go to www.campus.com for more information. Also, AM820 from 1 to 2 o'clock, AM820, the Truth Radio replays, heart of the matter. Uh, so you can listen uh, to them, Get listen, check in to AM820 on Sundays, 1 to 2, and hear the show. Friday nights from 8 p.m. Uh, till 8.30, right here on TV20, tune in as Bishop Earl, who's lovingly called Bishop Earl, interviews people who were once LDS and are now born-again Christians. The name of the show the X-Files, if you want to be interviewed, they're going to start interviewing again in September. Email Bishop Earl at www.xmormonfiles.tv. Summer sales spectacular, five, that's right, five products that normally cost $10 billion uh, is available to you for 50, 50 bucks, and you can have it. We have, if my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight a uh, believer's refusal to join popular Christian culture. We have I Was a Born Again Mormon, uh, moving toward Christian authenticity. We have Where Mormonism Beats Biblical Christianity Face to Face, a 647-page volume. We have In His Words, 17 passages put to music. We use this at campus for our worship. And finally, we have a Mormon president, uh, Joseph Smith, and the Mormon Quest for the White House. This is a docu, uh, docudrama. It's excellent. And if you order between now and the end of August, August 31st, you will receive one of your very own Joseph Smith. We're not calling them bumper stickers. We're calling them laptop stickers because I have one of these on the bumper of the car and I keep getting tickets. So don't put it on the bumper of the car. Put it on the laptop. It sends a great message wherever you might be working. People stare at the thing. And uh, it's really, really, what's really great is when they stare at it and teenagers are staring at it who are with their LDS families and their parents come and cover their eyes and, and move them away. That's always fun because they're like, hmm, that's really interesting. So check that stuff out. If you're interested in that, go to www.hotm.tv for more information. Worship leader, recording artist, and American Idol finalist Chris Sly will be in concert on Friday, August 3rd, 7 p.m. at Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake. Tickets are $10 and available at the Chapel Store, Lifeway Christian uh, Bookstore, and www.tickets.com. Contact Calvary Chapel at 801-264-9999 and or visit www.salt calvarysLC.org for more information. Again, that's tickets $10 available at the Calvary Store, uh, Lifeway Christian Bookstore, and tickets.com. Another event, Saturday, September 1st, Murray Park Amphitheater, uh, the seventh annual Burning Heart from 3 p.m. until dusk. Why do we do it? It's fun. It's a time to say goodbye to the summer. 
It is a place to gather with like-minded believers. There's food, there'll be a dunk tank, there'll be blow-up things for kids to jump in, there'll be excellent products to purchase, and this year we are holding two unique events. And uh, those events include the first, an open battle for the best worship band in Utah contest. We're going to open up for any church and their worship band to come out and compete with others and then decide what, what is the best worship band in Utah. And second, our first communion service for all everybody who's there. We're hoping pastors will come and they can help distribute the elements of communion. And after that, we're going to walk down to River's Edge and do open water baptism to anybody who wants to participate. If you want more information, also go to www.hotm.tv. We've had some questions. Is Adams Road going to be there? They have chosen not to participate for reasons I'm sure are important to them. So Adams Road will not be there. And so in lieu of that, we're having the Christian battle, best battle of the bands for the best worship band in the state of Utah. Last week was another horrible mass shooting of innocent people. Uh, this time, a captive audience in a Colorado movie theater, they were attacked. From all accounts, a lone gunman with hair dyed as a joker entered into a movie theater armed to the hilt and with the premeditated intention to take human life. Naturally, the nation is aghast with the fact that some 60 unarmed defenseless people, including women and children, were shot down, 12 of them thus far dying. Over and over again, I have heard the media at large calling the shooting, quote, the worst mass shooting in American history. And while I do not want to take one thing away from the sorrow and suffering of the victims and their families from experiencing this Colorado event, it was far, far, far from being the worst mass shooting on American soil. On September 6 of 1857, a group of active faithful Mormon men disguised as American Indians ambushed a caravan of pioneers who were traveling to California from Arkansas. Uh, for several days, these Mormons pinned the Baker-Francher party down under gunfire. Apparently, these unsuspecting travelers were on the receiving end of some rumors run amok, rumors that inflamed these LDS zealots into them taking unjust and violent action against them. Unable to end the siege, the Mormon attackers created another plan for victory, and on September 11th, that's right, on 9-11, 1857, several LDS leaders approached the pioneers feigning to want to make peace with them. They entered the besieged camp of the Baker-Francher party and promised to lead these tired, thirsty, beaten people to safety from the attacking Indians. Leaders of the Baker-Francher party believed in the promises of the LDS men who stood before them and convinced the members of their group to put their trust in their Mormon saviors. Then 120 men, women, and children lined up single file and allowed themselves to be escorted by men on horseback, flanking them as they passed out of that area and into, once they were in an open field called Mountain Meadows, a Mormon leader called out to the escorts who were on horseback and said, gentlemen, do your duty. And they opened fire, killing all 120 unarmed, defenseless men, women, and children. A monument of a cross was erected on the spot in the months to come. On it, the words were inscribed, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I shall repay. 
Wilford Woodruff, who would become president of the Mormon Church later, claimed that upon reading the inscription on the cross marker, Brigham Young, the current Mormon prophet and president, said, Vengeance is mine, and I have taken a little. Mormon Meadows, a massacre of unsuspecting innocents by Mormon men remains the single largest massacre by firearm in U.S. history. It was carried out by the hands of faithful LDS men who appeared in disguise and lured people to their deaths. Several years ago, the Mormon church in Salt Lake City, under the leadership of Gordon B. Hinckley, their prophet at the time, uh, erected a memorial for the slain. The Mormon church has never apologized for the actions of their members for doing what uh, they did, nor for Brigham Young's comments about it. Go to www.utlm.org and read about it for yourself if you don't believe me. Oh, and hey, ha by the way, happy uh, July 24th. Um, last week, I made a statement about the costly nature of one of the current LDS apostles home, Boyd K. Packer, who throughout his life has only been employed by the LDS church as a, a religious teacher. I said that his home, which, uh, which we might think would be a humble home because he is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, I said that it was a mansion. An LDS man called in and challenged us saying that my information was incorrect, that Apostle Packer lived in his neighborhood and it was in fact a small, fairly unassuming residence. We had an on-air on uh, discussion back and forth about it. He said my information, like most of the information we put out, was inaccurate. So we did some research. Admittedly, my description of a home being a mansion may have been an overstatement. I'll admit that. From what we can tell, you can't really see the house as clearly as I thought. The picture I originally saw was not the home. It was the home next to it. Nevertheless, the home next to it was very large, and it showed on the map I was shown that that was the Apostle's home. So uh, the caller, he said, the Apostle's home is indeed humble. But we did look into the value of the property. Here in Salt Lake City, I don't know about you, but to work for the Mormon church as a teacher, collecting a meager salary as an institute of religion direct, uh, teacher, like Packer was, it surprised me to learn that the appraised value of the residence he lives in is... $1,300,000. Now, the average home in the United States is around $200,000 value. And Packer is living in a home that costs more than 600% more than what the average American lives in, probably what the average Mormon across the nation lives in. And in the context of our discussion about Mormonism and money, I think the point was proven to be true. Like almost all of the research information we try to put out, most of it comes out to be true, even though it can be attacked. And with that, how about a moment from the Word? Last week, we left off with a reading in John 10 where Jesus said, I and my Father are one, end quote. The next verse said that the Jews picked up stones to stone him because of this saying. The saga over this statement continues on in chapter 10. Now, of all the passages in the New Testament that the LDS missionaries and apologists and defenders of the faith use, this is perhaps the most difficult for Christians to explain because of the way that it is said and done. And because it's not really an easy passage to understand without some research, even Bible-reading Christians 
have difficulty, the LDS pounce upon this as proof of one of their strange doctrines. You see, the LDS believe, whether they make it clear or not in casual conversation today, is that they will become gods. Faithful Mormons believe that in addition to having a marriage that lasts forever and their children sealed to them forever, becoming a god is one of the rewards of being a faithful, dutiful Latter-day Saint. And as a means to prove that their belief is sanctioned by God, they use the following passages which come right after Jesus said, I and my Father are one. You see, when Jesus said this, the Jews picked up stones to kill him for blasphemy, for making himself God. When he said, I and my Father are one, that was making himself God in their eyes. And if, so the Jews pick up stones, and in his defense, Jesus replied in John 10, 32, Many works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, maketh thyself God. Now, as a means to respond to them and their justification for wanting to stone him, Jesus uses some witty understanding of the scripture to confound them. And this is what he does. He says in verse uh, 34, Is it not written in your law, I said ye are gods? If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of me whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemous, because I said I am the Son of God? Now, let's look at the answer, the response Jesus gives in two parts. In the first part, Jesus shows them that they shouldn't object to him calling himself God, even if he was just a mere man. Okay, that was the first point of this. He does this by quoting from Psalm 82, which reads, God, it's an uppercase G there, stands in the congregation of the mighty, he judges among the gods, lowercase g. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, Selah? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the world are unstable. All of that is a description of who these gods were on earth and their duties. What they did as gods here on earth. It goes on, I said, you are gods, lowercase g, and all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Now this is some, this is some, this is some unique language that is not easy to understand that Jesus is quoting from and he's using on these Jews who are about to uh, uh, stone him. In verse 1 of Psalm 86, the psalmist differentiates between Yahweh, capital G, God, the true and living God, and other gods, lowercase g, by saying, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the, lowercase g, gods. Psalm 82 shows that the word translated lowercase g, God, Elo, can be applied to a man. It can be applied to angels in scripture. It's a general noun for the title of God. Uh, better put, the lowercase god in the ordinary sense is used to describe the deference 
and honor given to men who are put in offices like judges and magistrates. And even in scripture, it's sometimes applied to angels and to mighty men, the lowercase g, God. For example, in Exodus 7:1, God says to Moses, See, I have made you as God, lowercase g, to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. All right? There are many, 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 lowercase g, gods throughout the universe. Our sick modern vernacular has our teenagers sometimes referring to their uh, idols as, Oh, he's a god. They'll say that. It means lowercase g, and it means somebody that, that deserves reverence uh, here on earth. In Judges 10, 13, the only true and living God says, Ye have forsaken me and served other gods, lowercase g. Wherefore, I will deliver you no more. But the term is just about and referring to men of power and pagan idols and has nothing to do at all with uppercase G, God, singular, uh, true and living. Okay? Then Jesus makes his second point by saying, in other words, if God himself called men who were servants and magistrates gods, lowercase g, because they acted with dignity and honor toward the responsibilities entrusted to them. And scripture cannot be broken, he says, meaning the authority of scripture is final and cannot be set aside. Then he asks, how can it be blasphemy to use this word towards someone who is far more exalted than mere judges and magistrates? That's the point. That's the context. And I realize it's been a lot of uh, trying to explain it, but it, that's, what, that's why the LDS pray upon it, is because he says it, you can say it proves their point, and most people can't go to the time or trouble and don't have the inclination to try to figure out exactly what's being said. This was the point of his argumentation. Jesus was saying, you charge me with blasphemy. The foundation of that charge is the use of the name God or Son of God applied to myself, yet the same term has been applied in Scripture to mere mortal men, mere magistrates. The Lord simply used their law and scripture to show that at the least level of understanding, they could not condemn him or stone him for blasphemy. Also realize that Jesus did not deny that he meant to apply the term God to himself. You don't hear him say that in this. Neither did he deny that uh, it should properly be assigned to him. And finally, he didn't deny that the term perfectly implied that he was God. None of that comes out in this, all right? So all of his comments show that he was simply affirming that there was inconsistencies in their thinkings, in their thinking, and therefore to bring forth a charge of blasphemy and to stone him would have been unlawful. But you know, in the end, if the LDS want to continue to teach that they're going to become gods, let them do it. Just don't ever let them get away with pulling out a verse from the Bible uh, to support their blasphemous teachings. It won't work if you do your homework. With that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, true and living God, we seek you and need you. Pray for your Holy Spirit to reach those who are seeking for truth. Help uh, us as we share the truth, as we are Christians to our neighbors in these very interesting and trying times. So we pray that we will have your spirit with us as we move forward. We pray for our audience, wherever they may be. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, I need one more week to get back to our analyzation of the Book of Mormonian. I apologize, but we've had a few long weeks and we've had to adjust our schedule. So tonight, before we go to the phones, I'm gonna catch up on all kinds of questions, accusations, emails, insights, and information we have received over the past few months. This morning while reading in Leviticus chapter 20, uh, this passage jumped out at me. It says, if a man take a wife and her mother, meaning together, it is wickedness. They shall be burned with fire, both he and they, that there be no wickedness among you. The Lord says to the children of Israel, a man is not to take a wife and then take her mother as a wife as well. Polygamy was there, but he said, do not do this abomination. When I read that, I remember Todd Compton's book in Sacred Loneliness and how uh, he uh, said something about Joseph Smith's wives, so I pulled it out quickly. And on February 8th of 1842, Joseph Smith secretly married a 23-year-old woman named Sylvia uh, Porter. That is a known fact now. Then one month later, he secretly married her mother. Patty Bartlett Sessions, 47 years old, on March 9th, 1842. It's true. God said, if a man take a wife and her mother, it is wickedness. So do you trust what God actually said? Or do you trust what Joseph Smith actually did? It's a huge point when it comes to, to sealing the, the deal on this guy. The LDS will say, listen, we're the restored church. Polygamy had to come back because it was practiced in the Old Testament. Let's just say that argument was true. This is also true. In the Old Testament, no man is to take a, a woman for uh, his wife and then her mother. And Joseph Smith did actually that. Check your facts. Wally wrote, Glenn Beck said on a program today that Joseph Smith was being recruited by the President of the United States back in 1835 or around that time for a cabinet position. And then uh, Wally points out, Beck is weaving Mormonism into his TV show and his radio program. Welcome to the Mormon marketing machine. This is the problem with Latter-day Saints being in a place of prominence, is uh, it gives credibility to the religion, and those who are in the position of prominence spend a lot of time, which isn't known. The common audience just watches Glenn Beck and hears these things and thinks, oh, that's interesting. But someone who's been LDS or knows their doctrine or knows the Bible says, look what this guy is doing, you see? So anytime they get into a position of prominence, it's always about promoting the church. It's really interesting when someone of prominence is a Christian, we rarely care about what church they go to. I mean, we, I don't know where Tebow goes, or Tivo or whatever his name is. I, I'm not sure where he goes to church, but he's a Christian. I don't know where these other people who are, uh, are famous go. I don't care. I just hear they're Christian, and so that settles it. But when a Mormon... Uh, gets into a place of prominence, it's always about Mormonism. It's always about that religion, and that's what gets uh, 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 promoted and, um, and glorified. The brick and mortar corporation, and that is more and more happening today. Next week, uh, in, the in the early part of the show, we're going to cover uh, Jeffrey Holland's talk, which was recently done before a bunch of pastors, just to show you exactly what they are doing to spin this whole thing. It is sickening what they are doing to spin to the, to the culture today to let them think they're just normative, typical, regular Christians. But in the end, when they get what they want, 
They're going to unveil everything they really are and say, this is what we are. We've never denied these things. This is what we are. You're going to see. Had a number of you forward a videotape shot from a predominantly LDS city here in Utah called Bountiful, a city name taken from the Book of Mormon. Here it shows a young, uh, a bunch of young Mormon men, 2,000 of them, dressed up in the make-believe garb of a make-believe army, of a make-believe people, founded in Joseph Smith's make-believe Book of Mormon. In the book, they are known as the 2,000 stripling warriors or the sons of Helaman, and they had a little celebration, and this is what it looked like. That was, uh, that was uh, in Bountiful, Utah, and if you didn't hear it, they took their spears and they said, we will not doubt, and uh, that was their, their call. In the Book of Mormon, Helaman, a fictional prophet and warrior, oversaw 2,000 young soldiers called the Stripling Warriors, who, though they were engaged in a number of bloody warfare battles, fictional, uh, none of them were ever harmed because of their personal righteousness, you see. And, and so um, we present that clip to illustrate uh, several things endemic to Mormonism. Number one, the power of myth used to influence the youth. You saw that. They dressed up in the garb. They had a chant. They united in that. And it's all based on a myth. Just like, I mean, sorry to say, just like the Third Reich, they had the Nordic values of pure Nordic blood, and they used that as the myth to promote their superiority and what they were united to do. And we just saw a little picture of that. That was them. We will not doubt. I think doubting would help a lot of them on a few things. The second thing is the LDS acceptance of warlike imagery to depict their faith. They have no problem depicting warlike or militaristic uh, uh, superiority in their ranks. It's part of their culture. And finally, the mindless, mindless devotion that is fostered and nurtured in the young. Uh, they, they begin very young singing, uh, you know, uh, Book of Mormon stories that my teacher tells to me. I know the church is true. I want to go to the temple. Uh, follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. Don't go astray. Yay. All that stuff are these young songs these kids learn. And so there we saw a bunch of teenagers, 2,000 young men, dressed up, and, 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 and it continues on. They carry it forward into the mission field. They carry it forward into the workplace. And, you know, Mormons, uh, Christians today are just saying, oh, you know, they're okay. Don't worry about it. I know it sounds really fanatical. It sounds kind of like I'm, I'm promoting some fear here. But I'm just telling you, it's a different gospel. It does not deserve any type of recognition to be associated with the, with the body of Christ. And yet more and more it is. Got a new stalker online. Every now and again they pop up defending Mormonism to the death. I mean, I could show some of these guys a videotape of Joseph Smith and Fanny Alger 
uh, together in a barn with Emma Smith outside weeping, and they would say, nah, that's, that, that's okay, the Lord told them to do it. But anyway, this new stalker's name is Jim, and on Monday, July 23rd, he wrote claiming that Sean Haight, the faults that you're bringing out in the Book of Mormon are no big deal because in the introduction of the book, it says if there be faults, they are the faults of men. So why do you spend any time pointing out different faults or strange things in the Book of Mormon? They're just the faults of men. So uh, what's the problem? Here's the problem with the errors, Jim, if you didn't get it. Really try and listen closely. The Book of Mormon text was provided by God, according to Mormon history, according uh, to what he wanted recorded. And quickly, this is how the book was translated. I'm going to go through it again really quickly. Again, words appeared as Joseph peered into a hat. There was a piece of parchment, magical parchment, that would appear before his eyes. And words would appear on that parchment. Joseph would say the words out loud. Oliver Cowdery would write the words down. He would read them back. If they were read back incorrectly the words would remain on the parchment. And Joseph would say no, and he would make the corrections. If they were read back correctly, the words would disappear, and then new words would come up for the following sentence, or sentences, or paragraph, or whatever, however it was. So you have to understand, that is the reason there cannot be any really ridiculous uh, faux pas, and, and literary uh, idiocies, and misspellings, and grammatical errors, uh, simply because there can be punctuation. I would get that. I don't know if the Lord punctuated when he gave the sentences. But everything else came from him on the paper to the book and was double-checked. So how could there be any mistakes in this most corrected book on the face of the earth? Jim, you know, uh, with this being the way the Book of Mormon was produced, there is no... Uh, there's no way for there to have been many errors. And here is the main reason I mention this. When men and women are searching for truth, when they want to know truth, God shows them the truth. And uh, explanations, proofs, facts, indictments will do nothing for somebody who wants to defend a lie. Any type of proof we show you here, anything we say, if you are sitting there saying, well, I'm not going to believe you, I'm not going to believe you, I believe this, I, it doesn't matter what you believe and what I believe, it believes what the facts are. And I give you facts, and you say, I'm not going to believe that. Well, that's a choice that you can take. You have that liberty. But you will stand before God for saying, I cared more about keeping my family together, believing the lie, keeping my job, being called bishop, having my family forever. I cared more about those things than knowing the truth. But those of you who are watching online or live, if you're searching for truth and you will give anything for it, you will find it. The Lord will reveal it to you. Go to him, ask him, read the Bible, open up to uh, uh, Gospel of John, start reading and just wait and watch to see what he does. Don't get trapped in their web. All right. Before we open the phone lines, it brings me to one final email. We thank you all so much for the emails that you send in. Uh, we read them and we're, we read all of them and we're working on responding to them. This one is from a young man named Randy. Unlike those who call and write and will not hear or see no matter what is presented to them, Randy's email presents us a living example of how God reaches into the hearts of men and women who really want to know truth, uh, not people who just want to defend a lie. Among other things, Randy wrote, 
Though I'm not a Mormon, I've learned more from your show and the Holy Spirit talking through uh, you all than I have from any other Christian show or pastor. We praise God for that. Not me, but him. I was born and raised Catholic and grew up proclaiming Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But I never really knew what that meant. I left the Catholic Church years ago. During my years as a Catholic, a non-Catholic, and a self-proclaiming Christian, I probably committed every sin that the constitutional law allows. About a year ago, I knew that if I didn't do something, I would die in my sins. So I prayed to Jesus to ask him to come into my life and save me because I could not stop sinning on my own. It took a while, and one day I finally picked up the Bible, so vital to seeing and hearing the truth, my friends, this picking up the Bible, and asked God to bless my mind and thoughts and my heart, and I started reading. He says, I didn't stop reading. Really important for those of you seeking truth. Every day I read and tried to do what was written in the Gospels and the Epistles. At that time, I thought I was born again because I learned more about the Word than I ever had before. Listen carefully, folks. But I was still sinning, lying to my wife, being lustful, judging others secretly, gossiping at work. I was arrogant. So we have a guy who says, I was part of religion, I was this, I, I did that, I said the prayer, I, I searched, I've even read the Bible, I thought because of my knowledge I was a Christian. One day while reading a certain book in the epistles, the words brought a tremendous shame over me and even frightened me. But I kept reading. The shame grew into a severe panic attack, riddled with guilt and remorse because of the things that I've done, the things I was still doing, I kept reading. I finally broke. That's the key, my friends. I lost all my strength and fell to the floor and confessed my sins to the Lord in a puddle of tears. Never in my life have I felt such a terror and remorse that it sucked the life right out of me. I was truly in a broken state. At that time, I didn't know that this was supposed to happen to me. I was so filled with fear and hopelessness that it eventually forced me to confess my sins openly. I confessed to my wife. I confessed to a pastor who helped me. And that's when I was truly born again. The world suddenly had no meaning without Jesus. I wasn't just aware of one big sin in my past. I was aware of all my sins. I prayed to Jesus and Jesus alone when I knew I could not stop sinning. And he eventually led me to the truth. I made it to episode 13 when you preached the cross and hearing it brought me to my knees thanking God for dying for a wretched man like me. John, I can see how confusing it is between works and grace. I can tell you that grace brought me to obedience. Jesus showed me that he showed me what he showed me because he loves me. I would not have seen any of my sins without him. My friends, we follow a highly paradoxical faith in many ways. A faith where the able and the proud and the accomplished usually can't figure Christ out, but the humble and broken who are willing to cry to him and be humble are saved. Those who seek will find, those who uh, try to listen will hear, and those who don't will remain blind, deaf, and dumb, usually as a result of their own pride and their desire to have their will done on heaven and earth rather than his. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. First time callers, only uh, LDS callers preferred. Turn down your TV sets 
And remember, we are offering what we believe is a win-win-win all the way through August 31st. If you get, you get the Joseph Smith bumper sticker free, you get the docudrama, you get a CD, you get a book, another book, another book, and all of it for 50 musty clams. Uh, we think it's a great deal. Go to HOTM.TV for more information. Uh, one more thing before we go to the phones. When I was at BYU years and years ago, Spencer W. Kimball, the prophet, he made a statement and said something to the effect that if a girl was to be kidnapped and driven off in a car and was going to be raped, it would be better that instead of her losing her virtue, that she jump from the car and, and have her life lost. It was a very bold statement then. Well, this thing on LDS virtue has popped back up, and uh, Derek has given us some stuff. To, and, and so there's actually a video, and we're going to show you that right now.
So uh, I'm going to touch on this quickly, and we're going to go to Brian and Leighton, and, uh, and then a few other callers who are waiting on the line. First of all, the LDS affirmed back in my BYU days and in writing there that virtue and chastity is lost if it's taken, even if it's taken by force. That's what they say. I want you to know that is a lie. Virtue is a state of heart. It is not the physical uh, condition of a girl or a boy. It's a state of heart. And your virtue is, uh, is, is restored if you willingly give it up. And it is also uh, not lost if someone forces to take it from you. What a pernicious, ugly, sickening lie. Secondly, they, uh, they say it would better for you to come back in a casket than to come back unclean. That's what their mother's prayers say. Let me tell you something. They were unclean long ago. Uh, they're unclean by their thoughts. They're unclean by their dirty little actions. And they're unclean whether they actually consummate a relationship uh, or not. They are unclean. And so their mother should want all of them coming home dead from wherever they're coming home from because they're unclean from the get-go. And that's another problem with Mormonism. These guys walk around, these stripling warriors, and think that they are clean because they haven't had sexual intercourse. And uh, it's an absolute lie. Another point is, I don't remember Jesus talking much about these issues at all. I remember him talking about the solution to our problems. They have tapped into the most driven element of a person's life. Boys and girls in their, in their young teens, they hit hormones and they go stir crazy and they make mistakes and these jerks are putting this on them as if it, it, we would rather have you dead. It's, it's, it's a bondage that they put on them. I am not saying that it's good to get involved sexually before marriage. Not at all. But I am saying it's a normal part of this fallen world. And if you fall into that, there's a solution who came long ago and paid for those sins. And so this stuff is a lie and it traps you. And, uh, and I just want to know what, what they would say to Elizabeth Smart with all this stuff. I mean, what exactly would, uh, do these leaders and all their lousy quotes mean to someone like Elizabeth Smart? And when she was taken, Think about it, you guys. Okay, uh, Mike at Enterprise Not Active says he's a born-again Mormon. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Thank you. You're welcome. You're on the air. I am on the air? You are. Oh, well, Sean, uh, I am a born-again Mormon. I've been a Mormon for like 50 years. You have? Yeah. And you're born? You know, I, I, I did all of my works. I, I mean, I was a... Uh, a ward clerk, I did all my home teaching, I, I did everything that they told me to do, and I, I, I seemed that I was trying to be self-righteous. So what happened? What, I, I wasn't being saved. I knew that I was, in my heart I wasn't saved. So the way I got saved is I put that, the Book of Mormon down, and I picked up the Bible, and I started reading in there that I had to be born again. And I had to accept Christ as my Savior. And that's exactly what I did. There's only one thing that will save a person, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross for us. Amen, my brother. Amen. And, and, I mean, I, I, I still belong to the Mormon church. They, they invite me out to their dinners, and I go have dinner with them occasionally, you know. But... but I actually go to a, a Baptist church that teaches nothing but the Bible. 
Well, if you're going to the Baptist church for the Bible and the Mormon church for the meals, keep, it's okay. <laughs> you take care, my brother. That's a beautiful testimony. We love you. John, let me, let me just say one thing here. I just watched that video of yours on, on television. There's a lot of suicides because of that, because they have taught them, them, them kids, don't come home if you're unclean. Oh, well, they goodness. ended up killing themselves. Oh, it's horrible. It is horrible. That's one of the fruits of the thing. That's one of the fruits that they, they say, look at our fruit. Yeah, look at it. Exactly. Exactly. Great call, Mike. God bless you, okay. my brother. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Terry and uh, Sandy. She is XLDS. Terry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Hey, um, you're talking about Patty and Sylvia Sessions? Yeah. They are my great-great-great-grandmothers. Wow. And they were both married to <clears throat> other men at the time that Joseph Smith married them. Isn't that interesting? Yes. And Sylvia had a child with Joseph Smith. She confessed on her deathbed that her daughter Josephine was Joseph Smith. And BYU sent me a DNA test kit, and I did that for them and returned it because they were trying to prove if this was true or false. And they will not return any phone calls or give me any information back on the results. Wow. How long ago did they send you that, that kit? Um, you know, it's been about eight years ago. <laughs> That's a... That's all. They, you're, you, you know they would have returned the information if you weren't. Right. So, wow. What do you look like? <laughs> what do I look like? Do you look like Joseph Smith? No, because um, Sylvia then remarried to somebody else, and um, I'm on that line, so I'm not related with Joseph Smith at I all. I see. Thank goodness. Hey, listen, uh, uh, Terry, uh, while our viewers are here, I want you to know, go to utlm.org, utlm.org, and look up this stuff about the sessions and, and uh, what she is telling you here and research it. She's telling you the truth. You know, great yep. stuff, Terry. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Love your show. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Brian and Layton, first-time caller. Brian, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, how you doing, Sean? Doing well. How are you? Good. Thank you. Hey, the reason why I was calling you is, first of all, I wanted to tell you that I really enjoy your show. I've learned so much. Uh, from watching your program. I think this is my second year running, so thank you very much for doing this. My pleasure. Yeah, the follow-on question to that, it's not a question, it's a statement. I wish they would give you an extra hour to the program because I feel like you're getting rushed at the last 30 minutes. Yeah. And I know that's got to be difficult given all the challenges that you're dealing with, especially with all the call-ins. Yeah. I really wish, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray that they give you an extra hour for this show so you can go ahead and take that time. Uh, to try to work through some of these issues instead of feeling like you're rushed and then we're feeling like we're rushed when we call you. I think they would give me an extra hour, but the thing we have to pay for the extra hour, so, uh, but it's okay. I think you'd really get bored of me. I think the hour is just a, I'm like a guest, you know, kind of an annoying guest. After that full hour, you're ready for me to leave. Okay. Hey, one more thing I want to say to you, Sean, is that, you know, I've been, I've been in the state since 1993, I tell you, but one of the things I'm concerned about if the LDS believe that the church is the true church, can you please tell me why the church is sealed and not open for scrutiny from other different religious bases? They got too much to hide, my friend. You know that. They have so much to hide, and uh, they act like they're transparent, and they reveal things, but they don't. Just like, well, I think they're, just like, I think there's a president running. I'm not sure, but I think there's somebody who won't reveal their tax uh, record. Same type of thing. 
They're not going to reveal it because there's just too much to hide. Understood. Well, I, you know, I kind of reminded of the uh, kind of the Masonics and those type of religion, and it kind of leads me more and more closer to the fact that they are a cult, and uh, because they will not open themselves up uh, to scrutiny, and I think that in itself lends a lot of concern and question that I have. Really good point, Brian. Because you know, any reputable. A religion, any church, any ministry will say, what do you want to know? This is what we teach. This is our history. And when they start hiding stuff, you got to get worried. So a really good point. Thanks, my brother. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And we'll keep working on that. God bless you to continue to do your work. Okay, thanks. God bless you. Bye-bye. A dear friend, Laura and Jamie. Jamie was once a Catholic. Uh, I, I read something that someone sent us last week regarding the guy who claimed that the Catholics don't pray to Mary. Uh, she writes, the Catholics are involved in deception on this issue every bit as much as the LDS are on their issues, especially in the U.S. with the state of anti-Catholic apologetics going on. The for in foreign countries, however, it is very open practice with Marian statues, paintings, etc. being the object of worship. In fact, the last pope, a Polish man, can't remember his name, wore the name Mary inside his cloak and openly worshipped her. But that all might just be a matter of personal taste and not official at all, right? So she goes on, listen. The current Catholic catechism published in April 1995 under the current pope, Ratzinger's uh, imprimatur, that means his signature is his stamp, states the following in paragraph 2679, page 706, quote, Mary is the perfect orens, prayer, a figure of the church. When we pray to her, it says, we are adhering with her to the plan of the Father who sends his Son to save all men. Like the beloved disciple, we welcome Jesus' mother into our homes, for she has become the mother of all living. We can pray with and to her. The prayer of the church is sustained by the prayer of Mary and united with it in hope. And then finally on the next paragraph, because of Mary's singular cooperation with the action of the Holy Spirit, the church loves to pray in communion with the Virgin Mary to magnify with her the great things the Lord has done for her and to entrust supplications and praises to her, end quote. Uh, she writes, hope that helps. It does. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, Religions, I'm sure most of them started off meaning well. Even Mormonism, Catholicism. All these man-made religions start off meaning well. And then what happens is men start getting involved and things start falling apart. And that is why a church cannot save you. We had someone ask me, hey, it, with Mormonism being the great church that it is, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, if Mormonism is not the true church on earth, with all it represents, which church is? It's the wrong question from the beginning. No church, no brick and mortar church is true. Jesus is true. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And you have a relationship with him. And it's by and through that relationship that you are saved. Nobody will die and go to heaven and, and God says, what church did you go to? What church did you belong to? What were you a member of? Not a single person. If there are questions, we, we always phrase it that way, if there are questions, it's going to be, what did you think of my son? 
What did he mean to you, you know? And that is going to be, I know there's not questions, but that is the focus, you see. So you got to get rid of this church stuff right now and find out if you have a relationship with the king. Okay, let's go to Scott and Bountiful, line two. Scott, you're on Heart of the Matter. Happy Hank Heart Days from Bountiful, Sean. How you doing? How you doing? Hey, I just had a question. I was uh, talking to your operator. I had to make sure that this was kosher, but uh, I'm sure when you were uh, a young boy going to baptize for the dead, that you were interviewed by your bishop about taking your own self-virtue. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, um, and every boy that I know growing up, of course, said, well, you know, well, I have no problem with that. Except me, of course. I said, no, it works every time. <laughs> but but um, my question is then, so um, wouldn't that get rid of about 80% of the males? Yeah, you, you'd think it would, huh? Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, there's a horrible problem with pornography. Um, they are focusing... They are focusing... I mean, you name it. They're so. focusing on mortification, moral reformation of the flesh, and not the regeneration and the power of the spirit within. And that oh, was let's not, always... Let's not take a look at reality. Yeah. Hey, we got uh, LDS caller waiting. Scott, thanks for watching. Love you, brother. We're going to Caroline. She's LDS, line one. Caroline, you're on the air. Hi, Sean. Hi. My name is Caroline. Hi. I've been a Mormon for 20 years. You have? I went to, and you're saying that um, we don't praise the Lord. Yes, we do. We don't, we don't think we're going to be saved because of the church. We praise Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, let me ask you something then. If that's true, you've been a member 20 years. Do you have to be... Number 20 years, you've been on 40. You said we keep everything sacred. Okay, wait a second, Carol. Let's just keep it calm. I just want to ask you. You just made a statement. Do you have to be baptized by someone who holds the Mormon priesthood in order to be saved, or is it by your, your what you say, praising of Jesus Christ that saves you? Wait a minute, I didn't hear you. Could you replay? I can hear you. Do, you. do you need to be baptized by a Mormon a priesthood holder in order to be saved, or is it just the blood of Jesus? have authority. They, they have the authority to act. The authority. Okay, so we have the authority. So you have to be baptized by a Mormon then, right? It's not just the blood of you Jesus. You don't have to. It is all churches, Sean. They're really? I don't think so. I think you're speaking very broad brush terms here. Now let's just move on. Do you have to go through the LDS temple? And do you have to receive your endowments in order to live with Heavenly Father after this life? Carolyn. Carolyn? Well, Sean, you Do know you, what? We Carolyn, now wait a minute. You called the show and you said, hey, we believe in the blood of Jesus alone. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us. Carolyn, Carolyn, answer the question. Sean, you've been a Mormon for 40 years. You've had a bad experience. Now you're trying to tear the church down. No, 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 no. Let's stay on the topic, Carolyn. Carolyn, the topic is... Do you have to go through the temple and receive your endowments and be married in order to live with the Father in the highest degree of the celestial kingdom after this life? If you would like to make a call, please hang up and try again. There it is, right there. And you know, if you're talking to somebody literally who's a missionary, who's knocking on your door, or a neighbor sharing you with the gospel, and you hit them with the same thing, you get that same sound. You see it coming right out of their ears. And they're like, oh, going to next neighbor, you know. 
I'm telling you guys, you are deluded. You're deluded under this total... See, and I believe that Carolyn believes that she knows Jesus. I believe she thinks she is a Christian. Because I, I did when I, was, when I was LDS. But it's a different gospel. It's a different Jesus. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves, Carolyn, or any other Latter-day Saint out there. And when you believe you're Christian but you believe you have to take the sacrament to renew your baptismal covenant. You have to be baptized. You have to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands by a Mormon uh, priesthood holder. You have to go through the temple. You have to endure to the end. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to pay your tithe. Yeah, all that stuff, you know what it is? It's a church that has said, we are going to put you in chains. Jesus came along and he said, I'm breaking the chains, baby. I'm breaking it of Judaism and I'm breaking it for the rest of the world and I'm going to do it here. Look to me and you'll live. Just like Moses out there in the wilderness. Look to me and you won't get stung. If you get stung, you will not die. Look to me. Moses holding his arms out. Jesus, same thing. Look to me. The LDS say we're Christian, but they're not. And they have a lot of very good people, like I'm sure Carolyn is. And a lot of the people who watch, very good people who are so misled. I don't know how much of this leads how many people to hell, but I'm sure it does some. And that's enough for me to get up here and fight every week to let you know that Jesus is the only way. His shed blood. You're believing on what he did. Just like our earlier caller who's, who said, I'm a born-again Mormon. He knew. You can tell the difference between what he was saying and what Carolyn was saying. And that is the cognitive difference. What is it? Jesus Christ right there. Hey, join us next week as we get back into the Book of Mormonian and we continue to examine it as we wrap that topic up for the year and move forward into other exciting things. See you next week here on Heart of the Matter.